Chapter 3, Yoga of Action, Topic 6, Way to Overcome the Impediments. There's four, four verses in this topic. We're going to cover two of them today. Um, I was hoping to cover all four, but I think it'll be too much. Um, but we'll just cover two today. Any questions before we begin? So, we quick recap. Arjuna asks the Lord, what force is it that causes a person not to perform the right action? What makes a person do something against his own wishes? Something he knows is wrong. And in verse 37, 38, 39, Krishna explains to Arjuna why we're not able to keep the right path, why we commit this sin. What is the impediment? What is this impediment? Anyone? Yeah, Nilam? Desire and anger. Desire and anger. Karma, desire, kroda, anger. Hence, therefore, desires is regarded as the greatest enemy of our life. Then we discuss the three qualities of desires last week, sattvic, rajas, and tamas. Regardless of the quality, all desires cover the self. Yeah, all desires cover the self, regardless of quality. Where does desires manifest from? Why, how does desires manifest? Any idea? Hmm. Beg your pardon? Somebody said something. Where does desires manifest from? Or why? Why do we have desires? Thoughts. Sorry, thoughts. Vijayapai, oh. I think so. Vijayapai, did you say thoughts? Yeah, I, I did say thoughts. I was talking to myself. <laughs> oh. No, you're right. <laughs> so sorry. From thoughts. thoughts come from vasanas. But why do we have desires? What is the, what is the reason we have desires? Nilam? Is it because of our attachment to the world? Yeah, you're right. Yes, attachment. I'm looking for a more global answer. Greed. Greed. Okay. I want everyone to think. Where does 
where, why and why, where and why does desires manifest? Is it not in the mind, the gross, the attachment to the world, or maybe unfulfilled desires from previous? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're right. But the answer I'm looking for is a bit more deep. Why are you here? In, in search for happiness. Search for happiness. Vanita, you got your hand up. We're here because we don't know who we're looking for ourselves. So we're trapped in this uh, cycle of Gorma and the Maya, and that's what we're here to come out of. So you're right. Desires manifest because of. You're right, Vanita. Manifest because we don't know, we, because we don't understand who we are. Absolutely. So vasanas, so human plus vasanas are who we are. So yeah. what plus vasanas is why we are. Yeah, and God, so with no vasanas, we are su the supreme self. So we're uh, under a veil, which we have to uncover, yeah. which is right. full of vasanas and which leads to Maya. And that's why we're in this world. Absolutely, absolutely right. So the difference. Ignorance of the self. Ignorance of the self. So we fill this void. We look out into the world to fulfill us and fill that void. Stop feeding my notes. <laughs> She's not, by the way, but so desires manifest because of the ignorance of the self. Because of that ignorance, we feel a sense of incompleteness, emptiness, a void within, but we don't realize there's a void. Everyone with me, step by step, I'm gonna take you through this. It's really important, this. It, desires manifest, or vasanas, you can say vasanas, desires, thoughts, any of those things, they manifest within us due to the ignorance of the self. And because of that, we feel this sense of incompleteness, this emptiness, this void within us. But we're so used to it, we don't, we don't realize it. Therefore, thoughts flow towards objects and beings in the world to fill this emptiness. We think if we, if we feel, if we feel, fulfill a desire, it will fill that void within us. Does it? But it's like filling a triangle hole with a square plug. It will never fit. So we continue in the world helplessly trying to fill this void, which will never get filled. This void will never get filled. Take that as a statement. So what will fill this void, anyone? Yeah, Vanita? Ultimately, knowledge, because 
that is what will change. If you have knowledge, you can then... Vanita, knowledge is, is that's okay. what I'm looking for. Knowledge of the self. Knowledge of the self is what will fill that void. And this is, this is what this knowledge is doing. When you come to these classes, it's giving you the knowledge of your true personality. You are not Vanita Vekaria, you are the self. You are not Dharmesh Patel, you are the self. But this void has created this personality and you're attached to it. That's why after attending these classes, I don't know about you guys, but when I used to go to these classes, when, when you came out of the class, you feel a sense of satisfaction. You feel, feel a, you feel a sense of contentment. You may not recognize it, but there is this sense of feel good factor because you're gaining knowledge of the self, the gaining knowledge of your personality, and that void is partially filled, even if it is temporary. You may forget all about it by tomorrow, but for the time being, you feel a sense of satisfaction. Would you agree? Yeah. And that's the reason. That's why you want to come for more because it brings you true happiness. And desire stop you from gaining this knowledge and wisdom. Constant agitations due to unfulfilled desire stops your intellect from thinking clearly. Any questions? Does everyone understand what we just discussed? It's quite a deep thought to understand you are not who you are. And all our life we're attached to this personality. Any clarifications? So if, if we are ignorant of the self, um, and we're striving to always fulfill our desires. Um, and, it, and it says here, um, depends on the number and power of desires that I have. So I could have one desire, but it could be really powerful and harmful. So if we're thinking about gaining knowledge, looking at the number of desires I have or the power of those desires, what should be my focus then? What should I focus on to, one, develop more spiritually because that is the ideal, isn't it? So should I look at just gaining more knowledge and wisdom, concentrating on that, or should I concentrate on reducing the number of desires I have, or should I concentrate on looking at what the most powerful desire is and reduce that to not be so powerful. What is that? Okay, so that question um, is sort of answered in verse uh, 44. 
So we, we won't cover that right now. But in a nutshell, you need that objectivity to be able to do that. Objectivity uh, to be able to look at your personality, your desires objectively, yeah, from the stance that I'm not this person, how do I become that person, the self? So that objectivity means developing the intellect. Yeah, so I'm just answering Sil's question. You need that objectivity and that objectivity comes from developing the intellect. Then you're able to say, okay, let me evaluate my personality. Because everyone thinks they're perfect. Everyone thinks they're perfect. But um, we won't answer that specifically because we'll let the Lord answer that. So now in the last topic of chapter three, in the last four verses of this chapter, Lord Krishna explained how to overcome desires, this impediment, this barrier, stopping us from getting to our goal. Our goal as a human being. So does everyone, um, is ha everyone happy with the fact that we are the self and knowledge and not this personality? Yeah, are we all okay with that? Okay, great. So, topic six, way to overcome the impediments. How to get rid of these desires that come in the way of self-realization. Desires keep increasing. They are insatiable. As soon as you fulfill one desire, another few pop up and so on. Just like fire, fire is insatiable. No matter how much wood you feed it, it will ask for more. So where are these desires? How do they get in to us? What must we do to control them? Where do these desires lie? This is the next, next couple of verses, yeah? So verse 40. See, we say, get rid, uh, control desires, but where do you control them? Where are they? How do they enter us? This is what we're going to find out. Indriya nimano buddhihi asya dishtana mujyate ete vimohayat yesa jnanam avratyatehinam indriya nimano buddhihi asya dishtana mujyate the senses, mind and intellect, are said to be its seat. Veiling wisdom, through these it deludes the embodied. So the first one it says, the senses, the mind and intellect, those are the three places. That is, is its seat, meaning that's where it's that's where desires are. And it veils wisdom and it dilutes the embodied. The embodied is us. So Lord Krishna uses the term enemy a few times. Any other one, any idea why he uses this word to describe desires, anyone? It is your enemy. 
Any idea? Why does he use the word enemy? Any idea, Vanita? Because it takes you away from your swadharma, like away from your true personality of who you are. Yep, you're right. Absolutely, you're right. Therefore, it's your enemy. Stops you from going where you want to go. Mm -hmm. True, you're absolutely right. But in this particular case, yeah, Dharmesh? It's the bit we need to overcome. It's your enemy. It's the yeah. overcoming. Okay. Finding ways to overcome. You guys have uh, reached too much of a deep state for me to for you to answer this question. I'm looking for a more superficial answer. You see, well, I can't get that anymore. Yeah. So. Is it because uh, if we're thinking about good and evil, the enemy is evil, so we're all having to fight it constantly? Yeah, yeah you're, you're all right. But in this case, the reason he is saying enemy, what is Arjuna? Warrior. A warrior. What does a warrior understand? To fight. Kill the enemy. So Krishna uses the word enemy so Arjuna understands. A warrior understands the word enemy as something he has to find and destroy. Kill the enemy. Where is it? How do I destroy it? That's what's going on in Arjuna's mind. He understands that term. You see, but as I said, you guys are two deep thinkers for me now. Uh, simple question. So naturally, he wants to know where this enemy is so he can attack and destroy it. So that's why he uses the word enemy. To overcome desires, first we need to understand where they're located. Lord Krishna advises that they are located at the three different centers of the human personality. This is the seat of all desires. At the physical level, in the five senses. So we have a physical body, mind and intellect, correct? We all agree with that. We're made up of the physical body, mind, intellect, and the self, correct? So where are desires? Number one, at the physical level, in the five senses, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. I want to see the seven wonders of the world before I die. Desire to go and see. Desire for smell. Have you smelt that new perfume from Chanel? So much better than the previous one. Desire for smell. Taste. We must try the new restaurant just opened up. Has good reviews. Person who has desire for taste. Hearing. Music. Wherever you go, you have your headphones on. You see them, desire for music. Touching, feeling, it's so soft. Anything you see, you want to touch it. Even if there's a sign saying, do not touch, that desire to touch, you want to touch it. Those are the five areas as physical body is concerned of where desires come from. Our son, Jay, and my brother's son, Anish, they must have tried nearly all the restaurants in town. See, Anita's laughing because she knows it's true. 
He asked them, they're an expert in where to eat out. Desire for taste. It's not a criticism. I have a weakness for hearing. Sittle is always telling me off when a new CD comes in the post. Not another one. Desire for hearing. Ears. We all have a weakness for at least one or two of the senses. We have a desire for all five, but one or two of them are stronger than the other. Any questions? This is where the world enters us from. So desires can enter through our senses, number one. Yeah, everyone okay with that? The next entry point of desires is in the mind. The emotional, mental level. Attachment to our children, our partner, our business, to power, to fame. The mind can be attached to anything. That's desire. Romeo and Juliet, attachment to each other, resulted in death for both of them. That was attachment. Remember, Saddam Hussein, attached to power. Where did he end up? Death. So the mind's attachment, that's the second area, second place where desires can enter from. Number three, at the thought level, in the intellect, desire for knowledge. If can control this also leads to loss of reason and delusion. One desire is enough to completely change us, even to destroy us. One desire. Any other examples? Can anyone think of any other examples where one desire can destroy us? One desire. King Edward VIII, 1936, was king for one year. Then he developed a strong desire to marry Mrs. Simpson, an American who had been divorced twice. He abdicated his whole kingdom and left the country just to fulfill that one desire. We're not saying it's wrong, but this is the effect of one desire. Gave up a whole kingdom. That's what it can do. Any questions? Yeah. So it's saying here, uh, the thought level in the intellect is detrimental to us. But we've been always told to enhance our intellect or increase our intellect or mm -hmm. think of think from the intellect and not the mind. Yeah. So at this 
it's a bit confusing if we're now saying that it's not good for us. Okay. Any idea what Sittle is asking? Sittle's saying, well, we're saying develop the intellect, and now you're saying the intellect is could be detrimental to us. Any idea? Who can answer that? Because your intellect is not developed, or you're not developing your intellect. It is developed. She's saying that intellect is developed. But we're saying here now, she's right, we say develop the intellect, develop the intellect. And here we're saying the intellect can also be detrimental to you. Vinita. Because it's a form of obsession, then you're, it's, you've got, it's too much where your mind cannot then sift through what is right for you, what's wrong, if that makes sense. You're kind of like it's taken over everything else. So it is like an obsession, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. Deepa? It's your, um, so it's how you use your intellect, because you could have a strong, good desire and a strong, really strong bad desire, a bit like Hitler. He was very intelligent and he had a lot of intellect, but he used it in the wrong way. Absolutely. Where is the application of the intellect? Where are you applying it? To do evil or to do good? To develop, to um, become one with the self? Or to become rich and famous. Both needs intellect. So where's the application of intellect? If the application of the intellect is in towards the world, then obsession, strong desires can completely destroy you. Where's the application? Does that? Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying that the, a strong intellect can help me to achieve my desires in the world, yeah. or it can help me to get keep um, get away from the world. That's what you're saying. The strong intellect, depending on where it's applied, it will gain objectivity. Yeah. If you apply it to realize the self. Then you have objectivity, gain knowledge of the self, and apply it to reach that goal. If you apply the intellect to develop in the world, name, fame, power, then you apply that intellect, gain knowledge to develop there. Where's the application? Kill. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit confused. Mm -hmm. um, so we spoke a few weeks ago about uh, sort of sin right um, and basically uh, if you do something and you don't have agitations after then it's not sinful yeah. so that when we talk about application of the intellect when when uh, Deepa Masi spoke about Hitler he, in his mind he might have been thinking that this is what I need to do to protect my people and to and and that was the good for him he might have saw that in the good light right so yeah. then that application is still good from his perspective. So I'm a bit confused this because now we're trying to judge him from a collective perspective and not from his individual perspective. Okay. So then that application 
technically should still be right. I don't know. From his perspective, is right. From the world's perspective, it's wrong. From six million Jewish perspective, it's wrong. But from in his mind, he thinks he's doing the right thing for Germany. Yeah, they're sapping all the financial areas, sapping all the business. Yeah, they're controlling the whole country. And they're not even original Germans, the way he's thinking. Yeah, this shouldn't happen. So he's cleansing his country. As far as he's concerned, he's doing a service to the country. So from his perspective, there's no agitations. How many did you kill? Six million, is that all? Yeah. Still another 10 million, he might say. From his perspective, no agitation. But then from the world's that... perspective, from a, from a person who has morality, from a person who knows right and wrong, person, person who knows that to kill is bad, from his perspective, it's wrong. But then even like we do the Bhagavad Gita now, right? So Arjuna is facing off against his family and um, obviously there's some, uh, like, you know, he, he, he's got these agitations because it's his family, but he knows that killing is wrong also, right? Like he, you're not supposed to, but now he's got to do it for his duty. So when Hitler did it, he believed it was for his duty. See, the, the, the aspect comes here is the value, the sense of value, good and evil. Yeah. But that's so subjective. What happened to Hitler? He died. <laughs> he got... who, who, who killed him? Uh, I have no idea, actually. No, generally. Who was in the war? Germany and? The Allied forces. <laughs> the rest of the world. Do you know even Indians were in there? Yeah. yeah. The rest of the world against Hitler, Germany. So the rest of the world is saying, you got, you're mad. Regardless of where, which perspective is coming from. The rest of the world is saying you're wrong. You're evil. We need to kill you. Similarly, Arjuna's attachment, he can't sense good and bad. He sees his cousins. He sees his uncles. But they're, they're doing evil. Yeah. So Lord Krishna is telling him he has to fight and kill them. God is telling him. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who are we to judge? But I'm still, I'm still a bit confused on sort of the, um, this, uh, you know, the morality part because it feels like the morality comes from a collective group, uh, which is what we're saying is the world. But I mean, how can we trust people out there to make the correct decision? Because ninety nine percent of people don't have a developed intellect, right? Like, absolutely. And maybe that's a question for class. We're living in Kaliug. The value system is getting corrupted in this world. And I was telling Sittal yesterday, the world has gone mad. Yeah, so you're, you, you have a point, Kirill, from which perspective. Yeah? We can only go by the laws of the land. Yeah, and our own conscience. But even again, the laws of the land are being set by like... <laughs> I took in Russia, put in setting the law. But then you have to use your own conscience. When you can't judge the person giving you the law, the, the uh, laying out the law, then you have to think of your own conscience. If someone's telling you to kill and it's against your morality to kill, then you use your conscience. That's why thousands of people are living, leaving Russia. They don't want to kill. They don't want to get into the war. So you use your own, your own conscience. And where does the conscience develop? Through spiritual knowledge. Yeah, Where Lord Krishna is teaching us how to live life based on what laws. 
So forget about law of the land, just go by the law of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, that's and you'll be safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll pick up, pick up the Gita if you're unsure, read one verse, it'll help you to answer your dilemma. So, but essentially what we're saying is like the perspective or the, like um, whether you're applying it for, for good or evil, that needs to actually be determined by something higher than the law of the land, something like the Gita. Yeah, your conscience, yeah, which helps you to develop your conscience of what's right and wrong. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Is that okay? Good. You know, it's a good question. But intellect applied in the wrong area, strategically you're arranging the war. That's still a developed intellect, but used for the wrong purpose. Yeah, is that okay? Any other clarifications on that? It's good that you clarify these things. So there's no misunderstanding. Yeah, it doesn't matter how long it takes. So these desires, when they enter in us from these three areas, if they're really strong, they can take over our intellect, our thinking capacity. We can no longer think straight. It's like a car without a steering wheel. How can you steer to where you want to go? If you've got no steering wheel. These strong desires can lead to obsession, delusion. You don't understand what's right and wrong. Ultimately can destroy the person. So we need to be on a constant guard in all three areas to control our desires before they can grow out of control. We need to make sure what, what senses we contact, what emotions we entertain, yeah? what knowledge we are taking. We have to be careful because it can go out of control. Any questions? So those are the three areas. And what do you control it with? Developed intellect. You're applying it to control your desires, the developed intellect self. Yeah. Okay. Arunabhin, could you read the commentary, please? The last topic in this chapter, covering verses 40 to 43, shows the way to overcome desire, the obstacle in the path of action. Krishna uses the word enemy three times in the verses 34, 37, and 39. Arjuna, the great warrior, responds strongly to the portrayal of desire as his greatest enemy. He now seems prepared to face the challenge and combat desire. This verse points out the three locations of the enemy. Desire can be found at the three main centers in the human personality. It can arise at the physical level in any of the senses or at the emotional level in the mind or at the thought level in the intellect. Therefore, you must be ever alert at all three centers, never allowing a desire to become entrenched and develop into an obsession. If you drop your guard and neglect any one of the centers, desire will find its way through whatever loophole you have left. Thus begins all self-destruction. It is like a burglar entering a house. Leave open just one small window 
and he will enter from there and loot the entire house. At the level of the senses, you may entertain a desire for seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, or touching. An obsession developing from any one of this, these will cloud your wisdom and lead you to delusion. delusion. Similarly, emotion can overpower you in the form of an infatuation for another person. Such an obsession also veils your thinking. A third possibility is a desire for knowledge. This can develop into an uncontrollable yearning, which again leads you to loss of reason and consequent delusion. Hence, you must carefully guard these three areas where desire can germinate and grow. Thank you. So uncontrolled desires will lead us to obsession. This obsession clouds our wisdom, our ability to think clearly. And this ultimately leads us to confusion and delusion. This is what desires do to us. Any questions? Thank you, Arunabin. Um, Next verse. Tasmad vamindriyan yadau niyam yabarata sabaha papmanam prajahiye nam jnana vijnana nasanam tasmad vamindriyan yadau niyam yabarata sabaha papmanam prajahiye nam Therefore, O Bharata Sabha, controlling first the senses, indeed kill the sinful destroyer of knowledge and wisdom. The smart, first word. You'll find we'll find this word throughout the Gita. We'll be using, we'll be coming across this word, meaning therefore. So Krishna has explained everything and he's saying, therefore, intelligent conclusion. Therefore, Bharata Sabha, another word for Arjuna, control your senses and kill your desires. This is what is stopping you from doing what you're supposed to. This is the barrier that is standing between you and Godhood. Fight the battle and do your duty. Strong statement from Lord Krishna. Therefore, Arjuna, I've explained everything. This is what you need to do. Ravi, can you read paragraphs one and two, please? Tasmat means therefore. Krishna concludes his sermon on desire. Therefore, Arjuna, control your senses and kill your desires. They are sinful. They destroy your knowledge and wisdom. Krishna addresses Arjuna as Bharata Sabha, which literally means bull among the Bharata race. Hindus worship the bull for the great principle of sacrifice by which it lives. Its life is based on giving rather than on taking. It renders service to humanity by following the principle of maximum work, minimum profit. Whereas human beings tend towards minimum work, maximum profit. Arjuna, known for the sac sacrificial work he had 
rendered to his countrymen deserves the title Bharata Sabha, as his lifestyle followed the above principle of the Bhu. Thank you. So Krishna refers to Arjuna as Bharata Sabha, which means bull among the Bharata race. He came from the Bharata race. It's a Hindu reference. It's a reference to the bull that Hindus worship due to its life being based on maximum service for minimum profit. What does the bull want? Bit of grass to eat. What does he give? Milk? Fuel? He gives fuel. He works in the fields. All day can work. Yeah. Does four people's work in one go? Plowing the field? All day. And what does he ask for? Just a bit of grass. Maximum work for little profit. Yeah. Just for a bit of grass, he does so much work. Similarly, Arjuna was known for his sacrificial work to his country. So he calls him Bharata Sabha, meaning you like the bull. Always looking at service and sacrifice. Krishna advises Arjuna to first control the senses before the emotions and thoughts. Why the senses before emotions and thoughts? Any idea? Why does Lord Krishna say to Arjuna, first control the senses? Vanita? Because that, the senses with the vastness come from, from that thought of the desire of what you want, isn't it? Okay, yeah, I'm looking for something else. Vanilam? They're the grossest, so you, you can't go for the more subtle until you've dealt with those first. The five senses are the grossest. In other words, easier to control. Now you might say, well, hang on, Adam, it's hard for me to control my senses. And, and that might be right. But compared to the mind and intellect, the five senses are the grosser of the three, hence, therefore, easier to control. You can use the mind and intellect which are more subtle than the senses, to control the senses. See, you want to go out for dinner. You have a desire. Partner says, not tonight, love. You listen to your partner and say, okay, that desire is gone. Yeah? The mind says, okay, we'll go another day. Easier to control. Doesn't take too much effort. To control sense the senses. What about the mind? How difficult is it to control the mind? Would you say it's more difficult than the senses? More subtle. Death in the family. You can't eat. Watch TV, listen to music. You might put some bhajans in the background, but no desire for the senses. You see, when the mind is affected, where's all the desires for the senses gone? Mind is more subtle. The mind is emotional, grieving. Hence, the mind and intellect is more powerful than the senses. Would you all agree with that? Anita Ben? 
the mind more powerful than the senses? Because when, when you have grief, grief, where are the senses? You don't feel like eating, you don't feel like doing anything. So would you agree that the mind is more subtle? The mind is affected, senses on, lose their capacity. The senses lose their capacity. Therefore, he refers to senses as killer of knowledge and wisdom, if uncontrolled, because you can't think straight. Knowledge and wisdom is not available to you when there's a strong desire. Remember that example we gave a couple of weeks ago, the doctor who couldn't operate on his wife. The doctor was a specialist in the field and his wife needed an operation, but he couldn't. He could not do it. His sidekick had to do it. Why? Mind is affected. Deep attachment. Desires are sinful because it creates mental agitations. How does it create mental agitations? How does desires create mental agitation? Okay, well, how does desires create mental agitation? Um, desires, it's, it's never, you can't fulfill it, right? There's always another one that's going to creep up. So you have a strong desire until you fulfill it, it agitates you. Yeah? And you have a strong desire until you fulfill it, it agitates you. I want this, I want this, I want this. Or until Bijal says, you ain't getting it. Yeah. Agitation's gone. <laughs> Squashed out. <laughs> you see? So until you fulfill it, it agitates you. Example, cigarette. Somebody, um, I presume none of you smoke, but if a person who smokes cigarettes he has a cigarette, he feels satisfied. His desire is fulfilled. What happens? A couple of hours later, the urge comes back. You know, I need another cigarette. Agitations increases. I need to get a cigarette. Yeah, I must go out and get a cigarette. There's no smoking in the office, you see. I must get a cigarette. I must have another cigarette. The agitation starts increasing. Cigarette, 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 until he cannot stop. Says, I need to go out for a few minutes. He goes out, has a smoke, has a, has a cigarette. He feels content. Desire is fulfilled. Agitation is gone. Comes back in the office and starts working for another few hours. Then the desire comes back again. I need another cigarette. Agitations, agitations. So until the that desire is fulfilled, agitations will be there. He can't do any more of his work anymore because he's agitating him. I need a cigarette. I need a cigarette. This is how it works. Does that make sense, Nilam? This is how desires work. And we have hundreds of desires. Therefore, kill that enemy desire. Arjuna is a warrior, so he understands kill the enemy. Kill that desire. Ravi, the last two verses, please. This verse advises controlling the senses first. Before the emotion and thoughts, since physical senses are gross compared to emotions of the mind and thoughts of the intellect, 
one can control them more easily. You employ the more subtle mind and intellect to control the senses. Uncontrolled senses agitate the mind. When your mind is agitated, the intellect ceases to function. Loss of intellect places you in a dangerously vulnerable position. Therefore, you must first control your senses. Desire is sinful in the sense that it creates mental agitations. It ruins your peace of mind. It also destroys your knowledge and wisdom. When possessed with desires and beset with mental agitation, you lose access to whatever theoretical knowledge you have gained and any practical wisdom you have acquired through it. Thank you. So desire agitates you mentally. When you are agitated mentally, you can't think clearly. You know, in, uh, in the olden days, um, you used to have the ice cream van. Children, you know, if you're on the other side of the road is the ice cream van. Children see the ice cream van, makes that noise, music playing. What is, oh, I want an ice cream, I want an ice cream. They're ready to cross the road without looking. That desire, I want an ice cream, yeah, overpowers the ability to think, is there any cars coming? I better cross the road at the zebra crossing. They just want to run across the road. The parent has to hold their hand. Not here, not now, there's a car coming. But the child doesn't see, just runs across the road. Then there was a big campaign in the 70s or 80s, yeah, on the TV um, about how to cross the road, look left, look right, yeah. And then, and this is such a simple thing, but because the desire is so overpowering for the child to run across the road to get the ice cream, no thought, no thinking. Same thing happens to us, but it's not ice cream. It's something great, far, far greater that we want to fulfill. We lose our ability to think clearly. This is what Lord Krishna is saying. Therefore, control the senses, because if uncontrolled, it will lead you to ruin. And we've given so many examples today. So any questions? Yeah, Kevin. So I just like, you know, Navratri is coming up. Um, mm -hmm. And Shravan just finished a, a little while ago. Um, when obviously a lot of people fast, you know, during these months, is it? I mean, after reading this verse, to me, it seems like all the fasting that we do as part of our Hindu culture is it just to help you control your senses? So, if you fast, for example, you then control um, that sense of of taste, right? Kevil. I've got to put my hand up and say, I can't answer your question because I don't fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm ignorant in that area. You'd have to ask someone who's fasting. But why do people fast? I can't really say it's to control your senses. There may be other reasons, you know, there may be other, you know, maybe it makes your mind more subtle. Um, it could be anything. And I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question. Yeah, because I have no experience of it. Um, maybe someone in the group has experience, they may be able to settle and answer that question. The, the idea is, is that it's supposed to remind you of why you are feeling that hunger to, to th always 
try to think of the higher during that time. So it's not just um, controlling your sense for food. There is an aspect to that mm -hmm. where you are, you know, learning to control, but more subtle than that, it's to remind you of why you are fasting on that particular day. So if we're thinking about Mondays, for example, or Shravan, like we said, it finished, what were the qualities of Lord Shiva? Yeah, his qualities were of a certain nature um, to um, always um, think of others before himself. That's why he had the poison and always gave out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, could, so if we're thinking about what the significance is, is to think why you're fasting and think of the qualities of that individual deity that you're fasting for. So Naratri is coming, so it's, it's all about um, um, Shakti, so strength, strength in overcoming your desires, strength in thinking, you know, um, good against evil, strength in thinking, I want to um, gain more knowledge, develop more spiritually. So you can look at it as a superficial way to think, control my senses for food, but you can think of it as a more spiritual way. And the ideal is, is that actually you think of it more in a spiritual way. Thank you. There we go, Carol. Hope that answers your question. Yeah. Hey, any other clarifications? Good. So we have two more verses to go of this um, chapter. Unfortunately, I'm not here next week. I'm away, so we won't be able to cover those two. Um, I do want to rush it today because I think two was just right for today's class. And these are important verses. Um, so my suggestion is um, once the podcast comes out for last week and this week's class, if I can ask you all to try and listen to them again so that when we do cover the last two verses. Um, you know, you have enough, um, you haven't lost that uh, knowledge that you've gained. Um, and it'll make more sense and have more meaning to you when we do take up the last two verses. Yeah? I'll try and get the um, J2, put the other two podcasts on today's and last week's, and then um, you'll all be up to date. Yeah. And then we will start chapter four. It goes on. We'll be saying this in three years' time. We'll be saying we're now on chapter 18. <laughs> but actually, um, come in chapter 17, desires in all the different areas of the five senses are um, separated between tamas, rajas, and sattvic. All the desires from all the senses. What is right food to eat? What isn't right food to eat? What is, what should you watch? What shouldn't you watch? What should you listen to? What shouldn't you listen to? It's all broken down in chapter 17. Tamas Rajas Sattvik in all areas of our personality. So until then, have a lovely Sunday. And like I said, don't relax next weekend. Use the time to get to know who you really are.